0: Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Basord and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based in central London. And I'm joined today by Jeremy Bider, who's a psychiatrist working in West London, who has a special interest in sleep problems. So, Jeremy, this is a very common uh, problem and is very often mismanaged. Let's start by talking a bit about the different kinds of sleep problems people can have because they tend to think that insomnia or sleep difficulties are all the same thing. But there's a wide variety of different difficulties.
1: Yeah so I think as a member of the public thinking about sleep I think people would generally classify themselves as either a good sleeper or perhaps a bad sleeper. Um, Some people will go through patches of bad sleep, Um, some people find that they're not sleeping well for protracted periods of time. Um, When patients or people suffering from problems with their sleep turn to um, sleep specialists, um, the specialist is really going to be looking for a variety of different disorders. So we're now quite good at thinking about sleep and classifying the types of problems people have. And they, they fall in a, a number of categories. So the most common one uh, is actually insomnia. Um, insomnia is defined as difficulties falling asleep, difficulties remaining asleep through the night, or difficulties with early morning awakening, or sleep that does occur for a decent period of time but is unrestorative. so people wake up feeling unrefreshed. Um, and this is all with adequate um, time to sleep, an adequate sleep environment that isn't noisy, for example. So that's a very common very common complaint, insomnia, um, and that really forms the bulk of um, a sort of sleep complaints that people will present with um, particularly to their GPS or in primary care. Um, and then a variety of other disorders, so there are a variety of things that can go wrong um, that can affect one's sleep, so things like obstructive sleep apnea. Um, this is when uh, it's the, the person uh, doesn't manage to maintain their airway overnight and as their brain becomes deprived of oxygen, they're aroused from their sleep and actually their sleep becomes quite fragmented and they wake up feeling very unrefreshed. Um, before going on to talk about some of the other disorders, I think an important point to make is that to meet the criteria for a sleep disorder, whatever the kind of sleep disorder, one needs to actually be suffering with daytime symptoms. So it's not enough to be sleeping badly at night, although, of course, that's quite distressing. But it's, it's when it starts to affect function the next day, that's when we tend to worry about it and want to proactively treat the problem.
0: So in other words, people may say I slept really badly, but if they're actually able to work OK um, day after day, and it doesn't interfere with their leisure activities or work, they're just com- complaining, then that makes it, uh, a psychiatrist or a sleep specialist, suspicious that it's not a pure sleep disorder. Um, because that, that's quite crucial, isn't it? People often complain about the quality of sleep, yet it's very difficult to find sometimes that, that function during the next day has been interrupted.
1: Yeah, so I think, I think there's this out, idea out there, you know, there's, there's the search and the, the desire for the perfect night's sleep, night after night, and that, that's not a reality and actually isn't necessary for you know function during, during waking hours. So I think we've got to be quite careful about defining the parameters of, of the disorder. And I think once it's starting to encroach on relationships, work, study, then, then, it's, then it's become an issue. Um, and then that's something that needs to be addressed.
0: That's quite an important point, isn't it? Because just as the latest thinking about hypochondria is that hypochondriacs have a view of perfect health which may not exist, therefore they become hypervigilant for any symptom. Whereas in fact, a more realistic view of health is that most people have quite a lot of symptoms on an average day. Insomniacs, in my experience, if I can describe them that way, or people who have trouble sleeping, often have unrealistic views of sleep. In other words, they have a, a notion that there is such thing as perfect sleep. And if they wake up in the middle of the night, they start to panic when they're awake, and so they get caught in a vicious cycle. So, oddly enough, part of the treatment seems to be to be more relaxed about not sleeping so terrifically.
1: Would you agree with that? I would agree, and um, I think what comes quite naturally to us when we're younger, the idea of simply getting into bed and falling asleep, um, which is an involuntary process and happens without conscious effort. I think at some point, some people in their lives, for whatever reason, go through a stressful period Uh, It might be a period when they're suffering from physical pain or a breakup of a relationship or financial worries or whatever kind of worry, really, and their sleep is disturbed, they're feeling anxious, and that's somehow getting in the way of them being relaxed and falling asleep at night. When that's perpetuated over a period of time, even when the acute stressor that has triggered the poor sleep disappears and resolves, uh, in the meantime, they seem to have developed an anxiety around insomnia and anxiety around not being able to fall asleep and actually it's that arousal at night and that conscious determined effort to be asleep at whatever cost that actually gets in the way of what is and should be an involuntary process. So let's
0: talk a little bit more about the assessment in a moment but let's just finish talking about the different kinds of sleep disorders there was insomnia which we're going to talk about I think in more detail then there were the other disorders could you say a bit more about those other disorders?
1: Yeah so I guess uh, I guess epidemiologically, we've, we've covered insomnia, which is very prevalent. Obstructive sleep apnea is related to um, sort of having a high body mass index, so that's becoming more of a problem in the Western world. Uh, moving on to other disorders, you can get conditions where you get something called restless leg syndrome, and this is a, a sort of not quite painful but very uncomfortable feeling in the legs or the arms, which can come on particularly in the evening and as, as night comes on, and it essentially disrupts people's ability to fall asleep and fragments their sleep. And an associated condition in some people with restless leg syndrome is periodic uh, limb movement disorder. And again, this is characterised by kicking of the legs at night, often not noticed by the patient, but noticed by someone sharing the bedroom with them. And despite not waking them up and arousing them enough to uh, fully wake them so that they're aware of their sleep being disturbed, they 're actually being pulled out of deep sleep at multiple points through the night, and their sleep architecture is being fragmented and as a result, the next day they feel very tired often it 's the bedtime partner or the bed bedroom partner who will highlight the problem because their sleep's getting disturbed so that 's another class of um, sleep disorders, so it 's sleep related movement disorders that are disrupting sleep. another broad class of um, sleep disorders are are parasomnias so parasomnias are behaviors that occur in and around sleep that that aren't naturally expected to occur or don't normally occur for most people so this encompasses things like um, night terrors um, sleepwalking disorders um, nightmare disorders something called REM rapid eye movement behavioral disorder Um, and these are all examples of parasomnias Again, often for some of the disorders, there's no recollection on the part of the individual experiencing them that they've happened. They'll wake up the next day and won't know anything about it. And often it's a family member who will highlight the fact that they've been up at night walking about, thrashing about in bed, seeming seemingly very distressed. Um, so this is another sort of category of sleep disorder that can affect people. Okay, let's focus a bit on the insomnia,
0: which is the most common thing of the things we're talking about, and talk a bit about what would be, what would happen in terms of an assessment. What should a doctor be thinking about, and what should a patient expect when they go to a doctor and get their sleep disorder assessed?
1: Okay, so I think, I think there's a few critical questions initially around sleep. The first question the health professional will want to check on is whether, the, as I said before, the environment is suited to sleep and that there's enough time in which to sleep. Often people will come along saying they're not getting enough sleep, they've got insomnia perhaps they complain of and actually they're not giving themselves an opportunity to sleep. So it's, it's thinking about whether there is an insomnia present firstly. Secondly it's thinking about whether the insomnia is there alone um, or whether actually there's an underlying disorder that has triggered or caused the insomnia. So is there an underlying mental health condition A mood disorder, an anxiety disorder, Um, is there some kind of addiction problem that's sitting behind the insomnia? Is it related to medication? Is it related to physical health conditions? And again, is the insomnia present alongside another underlying sleep disorder, such as periodic limb movement disorder, obstructive sleep apnea?
0: But you also mentioned whether the environment explains uh, the inability to sleep. They're not giving themselves enough time or they're in an environment which doesn't permit sleep
1: yeah so people nowadays typically will take lots of paraphernalia electronic paraphernalia to the bedroom, so they'll be sat there responding to emails on facebook on social media, watching films and that is stimulating and activating and arousing and not only that there's there's light coming off um those pieces of machinery and uh, what we know is that we are um we're geared up to be asleep at night so um, light has the um, we our sleep phase and our wake phase is controlled by something called a circadian rhythm. There's a 24-hour cycle and it's pegged to the external environment so that we're, we're awake during daylight hours and asleep at night. And if one's exposing oneself to lots of bright light in the evening, that, one can, that can actually delay the onset of sleep. So that, that can compound the problem as well.
0: So um, they're kind of questions, taking the right history, um, and is it a primary issue, or is it secondary to something else? Now, a big controversial area in medicine is the, the sort of stampede to prescribing drugs yeah. to yeah. help people sleep. Should there be other things that people do first before reaching for the prescription ban?
1: I think there certainly are, yeah, I would very much agree with that. Um, I think what's interesting about the stampede for medication is that it suggests that it's a problem that people seriously want help with. So I think, I think behind that is, is the idea that people are distressed, people are finding their daytime function affected and people are, are battling um, insomnia. Um, often alone, it's not something that um, is terribly easy to, to speak about or people have very much time for. So I think, I think it does represent a great need. Is medication the first answer? Certainly not necessarily. Um, often cognitive and behavioral techniques Um, are very helpful and efficacious, they work very well in um, tackling the insomnia and actually eradicating it so the way we insomnia in some respects can sometimes be a learnt maladaptive process, It's, it's it's something that we learn to do by doing all the wrong things in response to not getting enough sleep so imagine someone who has some kind of physical pain related to an injury that, that keeps them up at night. Um, the following day, um, over a period of a few weeks, that they're feeling tired, so they start having, they start having stimulants such as caffeine, nicotine, um, to wake themselves up, that, that's gonna compound their problem and make it difficult for them to sleep the following night because um, they've still got these stimulants running around their system. Equally, people might turn to alcohol in the evenings when they're not sleeping to try and get themselves off to sleep, and again, we you know alcohol, It's very bad for sleep, actually, Um, and so it tends to compound the problem. People might catnap during the day, so people do lots of different things to try and solve the issue, but actually they make the issue worse, and primarily people are getting into bed and and then consciously trying to fall asleep, and that that is often the source of the problem, and that that can be targeted with cognitive and behavioural therapeutic techniques.
0: I thought one of the catch-all phrases for this um, CBT or cognitive behavioural approach was sleep hygiene. Could you say a bit more about what the instructions would be that a doctor would give to a patient using sleep hygiene?
1: So sleep hygiene doesn't have a tremendously large um, evidence base, actually. Um, So the focus is more on more robust cognitive and behavioural techniques, which I'll come on to in a moment. But certainly it makes sense to avoid doing all the things I mentioned just a moment ago. So certainly one shouldn't be having um stimulating beverages um, late in the afternoon past lunchtime I would say because they do have an extended uh time of action. Um certainly one shouldn't be catnapping during the day because that is going to reduce the drive for sleep at night and lead to fragmented sleep at night that isn't consolidated if one avoids sleeping during the day gets a nice period of consolidated sleep at night again it's about ensuring the the bedroom is um conducive to falling asleep and that's already bringing us on to um a cognitive and behavioral approach that does have an evidence base let's talk about that then which is stimulus control okay let's talk about that so stimulus control is the idea that what you want to happen in your brain when you see your bed or your bedroom is a very strong association with sleep so you, you respond to the environment with, with your brain work, you know, deciding it's time to go to sleep and, and that's what will happen so it's it's about making sure the association with bed is all around sleep so the only things that are allowed in the bedroom are sleep and uh, sex. Anything else kind of things we mentioned before, work, uh, watching films, listening to the radio all of that needs to be avoided so that um, time spent um, in the bedroom is associated with sleep. And alongside this, the idea is that if you're in bed, you're trying to wait for sleep to arrive and it doesn't, after 15 minutes you should actually get out of bed, go somewhere else and do something else until, until you're feeling sleepy, and then you repeat the process and try to get. After 15
0: minutes, 1-5? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I guess the idea is to try and give some reasonable length of time for, okay. for sleep to happen. That doesn't mean one should be watching the clock, and sort of counting down the time Okay. because um, that's going to get in the way but roughly
0: know. speaking before yeah, it, yeah. Okay, and then you get out of bed go to another room yeah. do something else yeah. uh, and then come back to bed yeah. but what's this something else because that's often a bit controversial
1: yeah so the something he... else shouldn't be something that's terribly stimulating or alerting it should yeah. be something nice and relaxing something enjoyable Okay. something that will give you the chance to wind down okay yeah. so um, that's kind of like training on a very old
0: idea in psychology that you want the head or the brain or your mind to associate the bedroom with sleep yeah. and nothing else, yeah. so you want to pair the two, yeah. so only sleep occurs yeah. in the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. And therefore the brain begins to realise that when it is in the bedroom, sleep is expected Yeah, and nothing else.
1: Yeah. And then the other sort of technique which has a very good evidence base again, is uh, sleep restriction. So that is about trying to consolidate sleep. So if one is actually sleeping for six hours a night, um, we don't want that person to be spending ten hours in bed. Um, That's going to mean they're going to be spending a lot of time getting quite um, aroused, anxious, agitated and frustrated, and that's going to get, again, in the way of of sleep. And it's also going to mean they're going to have snatches of sleep here and there as opposed to a nice consolidated block of sleep so we would tend to restrict the time spent in bed so that one's achieving um, an efficiency of at least 85% we want 85% of the time spent in bed to be time that you're asleep so we would restrict the time in bed that might initially restrict the opportunity for sleep and we would say don't catnap the next day you are going to be tired possibly during the first week or two of this therapy but as your need for sleep builds up you will start to fill the time spent in bed with sleep and then we gradually increase and unrestrict the time spent in bed perhaps increasing it by half an hour at a time and um, until again the efficiency drops off and then we say well you're, you're kind of spending enough time in bed now and you're getting enough sleep and the other very important thing is to get up consistently at the same time each day and that helps regulate your circadian rhythm. Doing it at the other end of the sleep phase telling people to go to bed at the same time, every night doesn't work, because then you're, you're getting into the problem of not feeling sleepy and lying awake in bed. So the idea is to get up same time every day, during the working week, at the weekends, no matter how you feel, no matter how you've slept, and um, in the hope that you get into a fixed pattern of sleep. Yep. So um, there's a lot more we could talk about with sleep.
0: Um, but we're running out of time a little bit. But what I do notice is when I try to issue instructions or advice to patients about sleep, compared to many other domains in psychology and psychiatry, they're quite resistant to behavioral change because amongst other things, it takes a while for these things to kick in. It takes a while for them to work. And they're frustrated because they're really very keen on a good night's sleep now. So that's why they want a tablet as opposed to behavioral changes. So what do you do to encourage them to try non-medication approaches.
1: Yeah, so I think I think it's really quite simple, and um, I think it's about education. I think once one understands the process by which we fall asleep, once once one is armed with that knowledge, it becomes very easy to follow through on the sort of behavioural techniques given. So what we very simply know is that there are two switches in our brains, one of which drives sleep and promotes sleep and one of which promotes being alert and awake. These switches um, reciprocally inhibit each other that means when one, are, one is on the other one is off and vice versa so when in response to um, signals from the external environment that it's nighttime, when, when your sleep switch gets turned on that is supposed to, your, your arousal switch and your being alert um, driver is, is supposed to turn off um, and then sleep just happens. However, when one is too aroused, no matter that the sleep switch is turned on and trying to get your brain to um, go into a sleep phase, because you're so aroused, it's simply your, your brain won't shut down. And often, as I said before, the arousal is about trying to fall asleep and getting frustrated. I think once one learns that it is in a relaxed state of mind, sleep just will happen by itself as an involuntary process. Um, then one can stop trying so hard. So the other favoured technique is relaxation therapy, really, and it's finding a way of turning down one's mind or turning down the tension in one's body, so that one is in a relaxed state of mind, and that the sleep switch just just goes on, and you you go off into a good night's sleep. So that that might involve um, muscle relaxation techniques, thinking consciously about relaxing various muscles in your body in a stepwise progressive fashion, or it might involve some guided imagery, imagining imagining yourself in some very relaxed setting where there are no worries, where there are no demands on you, and everything's very pleasant. So if one can conjure up that very pleasant space, um, then one's relaxed and sleep can happen. But
0: I agree with everything you're saying, but I think that the issue is that people have to become more relaxed about not just sleeping, they have to actually be more relaxed about not sleeping, if you see what I mean. If they can be more relaxed about not sleeping, then sleep will come. There's a kind of paradox there. Yeah. Do you experience that in your
1: practice? Yeah. So there, there is what we call cognitive distortions about sleep, and, and those, those should be challenged. So the idea is that people walk around with the idea, if I don't sleep tonight, I'm going to have the most awful day tomorrow. I won't be able to function, and actually they have been functioning to a degree and are likely to be able to function. And what we try to say to our patients is, yes, there might be a slight time delay in these techniques kicking in, and you might not even feel well-rested tomorrow in response to the techniques you try tonight. But what we're trying to do is improve your sleep in the long term, and perhaps that's just a few weeks away. So persevere, and you, you will see those results. Jeremy Bider? Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.